Thank you very much, Arnie. Beautifully read. I do have a Christmas sermon if you'd prefer, but um, who knows? Depending on how today goes, maybe I'll get invited back. But Jago, lovely to be here with you. Lovely to be here with all of you. Very brave of you to uh, venture into a church building if this isn't your normal run-of-the-mill activity on a Sunday. Great to hear what the church is up to uh, with the football team. I confess I once was part of a, uh, a church league. Is it a church league or is it a mix of teams? It's a mix. I was part of a church league where there were churches playing against each other. And I have to say, it was the filthiest, most bad-mouthed uh, league I've ever been a part of. So just keep it clean, Ben. Um, but um, it is a joy to be with you uh, in this week of all weeks. Jago, it's not a couple of weeks away. I get married in six days, folks. Me and Kirsty, yeah, give it up for that. Thank you, which is partly what inspired me to be looking at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, which we're going to be doing for the next few minutes. But are there any other married couples? I say other, but I'm not yet there. But any other married couples in the house tonight? Let's give it up. Are there any people in the house tonight hoping to be married in the near future? Perhaps even hoping this evening to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright? Show of hands. Just take a look to your left or right, folks. You never know who you might be sitting next to. I mean, there's a, there are a few single-sex rows I see out there, so that's unfortunate. But um, Kirsty and I met in church. Could well be your time tonight. But whatever your situation this evening, God bless you. Do you want to hear a joke about weddings and uh, marriage? My favorite joke that I tell at all my wedding services. Do you want to hear a joke? Um, it's, yeah, you'll see. It's got a bit of edge to it, but it'll, it'll all be fine. Um, I've heard that marriage can be described like a game of cards. At the start, all you need are two hearts and a diamond. In the end, all you want are a club and a spade. It's a little bit dark, I know. But, darling, we're going to be fine, aren't we? I mean, I think it's just hearts and diamonds for us. Or maybe just one diamond. But anyway, I want to look a bit at this story from early on in the ministry of Jesus. And it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And it's easy to see why, because it involves wine and a lot of wine. And being in Clapham with Clapham High Street, just a few yards that way, uh, aka the Magaluf of South London, just without the sunshine. I imagine it might be of interest to some of you too. I mean, who wouldn't want to know a man who could turn water into wine? Quite a useful friend to have, no? And let's be honest. A lot of time, Christians or the church are better known uh, for turning wine into water. We can be accused of being the fun police sometimes. That's certainly what I used to think. I mean, I didn't uh, used to give Christianity the time of day. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, no Christian background, up until the age of 18. You know, I like to drink, I like my drugs, I like to party. I, I loved a bit of Clapham High Street, if I'm honest, or places like it. And I thought Christianity was boring, irrelevant, untrue. But then on the back of a talk, perhaps a little like this one this evening, everything changed for me. So what's this story all about, the wedding at Cana in Galilee? Well, first thing we need to know, we have, need to have a bit of context about Middle Eastern weddings because uh, they were a little bit, still are today, a bit different to weddings over here. Thank goodness they would go on, the parties would go on for several days at a time. It would often involve the whole village. I mean, our wedding reception is going to last three hours. Imagine planning for three days, Kirst. Good luck with that. But you would need to have all of your provisions in place for such an event. Enough to go the distance. 
which is precisely the problem we come across here. Because in verse three, we read of Jesus' mother going up to him saying, they have no more wine. And that is a disaster at any wedding, let alone a Middle Eastern wedding that's meant to last three days when your mother's coming up to you on day two saying they're out of wine. That is a big problem. I mean, imagine if this Saturday at our reception, an hour in, they come up and say they've, they've no more champagne. Um, that will be deeply embarrassing, especially as it's on my to-do list, okay? Uh, and it's going to happen this week, I promise, Dal. Uh, sorting the champagne. It's a deep embarrassment. But even more so back then and there in the Middle East, in Israel, at a wedding that should last several days, having to call time on day two is a nightmare. A serious cultural embarrassment for the groom, bringing his family and his bride into shame. Can you imagine? But that's just what happens. And so Mary steps in. And we know the rest, don't we? Jesus turns water into wine. And not just a bit, but around 150 gallons of it. If you're like me and you've no idea how much a gallon is, I googled it for you. Uh, And it's each gallon, one gallon holds about five bottles of our normal wine. So that's about 750 bottles of wine that Jesus is making. I mean, even Clapham High Street would be impressed with that. Uh, And it's not just any old wine, is it? It is the finest wine that the master of this banquet, the MC of the event, essentially, had ever tasted. Now, just to be clear, wine back then wasn't as strong as wine is now. So Jesus wasn't just going about producing a bunch of drunken Brits in Magaluf. Uh, He was uh, actually providing a necessity for the party to continue because water back then, and in many parts of the world today, uh, was and is undrinkable because of the bacteria in it. Have you ever been on a holiday where you land and you're advised, do not drink the water from the taps? Anyone made the mistake of doing that? I remember going to Egypt a few years ago and landing. I was so thirsty after my EasyJet flight. I was being a cheapskate, didn't buy any water on the plane. Got off and just in a daze, went to the drinking fountain outside the gents and just just filled my boots. Uh, An hour and a half later, I was filling something else, I can tell you. Like a headache, you like stomach cramps, throwing up. It was a terrible first night in Egypt. But that's the situation here. The water couldn't even be drunk without the wine because the wine back then would disinfect it. It would make it safe to drink. And they'd mix one part wine with about three parts water. Now, at the same time, I'm not saying Jesus was a killjoy. He made wine, right? And it did lift the spirits. It brought joy to the heart. It made a party for sure. But I just don't want you thinking that it's a picture of uh, Clapham High Street on a Friday night that's going on here. It's not quite that deal. You know, beers are on Jesus. That's not quite what's happening. But he does keep the party going and more than that. But the point is this. The wine runs out, but Jesus steps in. And in so doing, satisfies their thirst, covers the shame and embarrassment of the groom, and even wins him credit. The MC says, you have saved the best till now. He didn't have a clue what was going on. Wow, you might say, wonderful story, Pat. Some powerful lessons. But look, as Christians, we here today 
believe that the Bible isn't just a bunch of nice stories, but is in fact God's word and as such speaks to our hearts and the deepest parts of us. So let me ask you an honest question here this evening. Has the wine run out in your life? Or even if it hasn't run out yet, is the bottle running dry? Is your glass not just half empty, but very nearly out? And by wine, of course, I don't just mean alcohol. Each one of us can be tempted to look to all kinds of things, anything in this life, to satisfy our inner thirst, our deepest longings. It can be alcohol, sure. Can be drug, drugs, can be sex, possessions, our looks, career, money, fame, success. It can be another person, it can be a relationship. It can be a good thing that becomes a God thing for us. It can be anything. But the one thing they all have in common is that ultimately they don't satisfy. They can't satisfy because they don't last forever. Maybe you hear me say that this evening and uh, you think to yourself, well, you know what, Pat? I actually feel I'm doing okay. I don't sense my need. I don't really feel this thirst you speak of. The wine seems to be flowing for me still. Well, I want to say God bless you. And that may be true for now. But you know what? As a vicar, I've done a couple of funerals recently. And I'm sorry to say that one day or another, our time will come too. We will go, all of us, the way of all flesh. And as someone said the other day, I saw on Twitter or something, none of us is getting out of here alive. One day, the wine will run out. So the only question is, is there anything that can be done about it? Is there a way to keep the wine flowing? You've been at a party when things run out and you realize it's coming to an end and you're just, some people, like, they like to leave a party early, don't they? Like an early night. Others, I, I know, I, I'm just last out, just want to keep it going. How can we keep it going? Is there a way to keep the wine flowing? Not just in this life, but in the next. Well, I don't know if you noticed Jesus' answer in this story. It's easily missed. But it's quite a, kind of strange when you look at it. And I must thank Pastor Tim Keller for this next point, which is essentially lifted from him. Uh, it's important for preachers to give thanks to each other for each other's work. Again and again, I hear how Jago is constantly stealing my material and <laughs> preaching it here. But you are forgiven, brother. God bless you. <laughs> but Jesus' answer is quite strange when you look at it, isn't it? Firstly, he's quite firm with Mary, his mother, isn't he? Woman, he calls her. Anyone, anyone tried that recently? I mean, good luck with that. Not mum, not mother, but woman. Charming Jesus, lovely. And then his answer, why do you involve me? Why do you involve me? That's what I normally say to my mum. Leave me alone. Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. You see, he seems to be saying, doesn't he? I'm not getting involved. It's none of my business. But then, what do we see? He gets very much involved, doesn't he? It's almost as if he's answering a different question, thinking about something else. 
which if you know John's gospel, you will know that he is because the expression, my hour, is used a number of times in the gospel of John. And every time it's used, it refers to just one thing, Jesus' death on the cross. But what does that thought the death of Jesus that he was thinking, have to do with this wedding day at Cana and essentially a catering miscalculation. Well, just think for a moment about weddings. Think of the last wedding you were at. Of course, when the bride comes in, the groom is in this situation and his mind is on one thing. He's just consumed by looking at his bride. But everyone else in the room, all of the guests you know, they're, they're forgiving for them, forgiven for their minds wandering, right? Yes, they take it all in. They take in the bride. They take in the groom. But their thoughts might turn, if they're married, they might turn to their own wedding, right? Am I right? Am I crazy? Married couples, you think back to your own big day and what you loved, perhaps what went wrong, what you would have done differently. Uh, or if you're not married, your thoughts perhaps look ahead in hope to wondering, will this ever happen for me? I had 42 years of that, thank you very much. You know, you know, will it happen for me? When will it happen for me? Most importantly, <laughs> who will the person uh, be that it happens with? Our thoughts can go elsewhere. Well, it was no different for Jesus. Here he was, yes, supposedly the son of God, but also the son of Mary, fully God, but f- fully man, a human being, experiencing all that we experience with all the emotions that go with it. A single man. And he too, perhaps in this moment, was looking towards his own wedding day. When he'd come into his kingdom and celebrate his own marriage with a feast where the wine would be flowing. But who is Jesus marrying you might ask, like, as far as I'm aware, he didn't marry anyone. Well, in the New Testament, the church is referred to uh, as a number of things. We're called the body of Christ. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But we're also referred to as the bride of Christ. So if Christians are right and Jesus is the Son of God, do you see what that means for Jesus' purpose and mission in the world. It means he came to redeem a people for himself. It means he came to find his bride. And yet even in this moment, at this wedding in Cana, he knew everything that would be required to bring about that day, his big day. He knew everything that would be required to win his bride to himself. He foresaw that hour and he knew the cost and the pain that it would take because he knew, he always knew that he must go to the cross, a place where he would suffer and die in our place, where he would shed blood, his blood for you and for me, blood of the new covenant, which the church remembers when we share the cup of wine together at communion. Notice too that the water that they fill up is drawn out of six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Each of us needs a spiritual bath, folks. Each of us needs to be washed, or in Bible language, baptized. 
It's wonderful that that's going to be going on in just a, a short while. All of us need a wash because all of us have sinned and all of us have messed up in God's sight. And it's this wine. It's this shed blood of Jesus in time that washes us, that cleans us up. It forgives our past. It satisfies our thirst. It opens up relationship with God. Because just like the groom in this story, we've all come up short. We've all run out of wine. But because of Jesus, our embarrassment and shame can be covered. Whatever that is tonight, whatever weighs on you, if you've come in here with anything on your heart or your mind that you feel guilty about, rightly so, outside of Christ. I felt it before I came to faith. Jesus can take away your guilt. He can cover your embarrassment and your shame. Because of Jesus, our spiritual thirst can be quenched. We live at a time, don't we? I hear it again and again from my whole family, none of whom are Christian, and all my non-Christian friends have just been on a stag party with. You know, they'll say something like this. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Do you recognize that phrase? Perhaps you hear it from friends. Perhaps you use it yourself. I think what people are saying when they say that is, I don't like the outward forms of religion, but I recognize there's something deeper in this world, in this universe, and that I myself have a spiritual thirst that I'm looking to satisfy. Well, because of Jesus, that thirst can be quenched. And because of Jesus, we can even get the credit for something someone else did, something Jesus did. He made the wine and the groom gets the credit. You see, my friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a wonderful exchange. We come to him with guilt and shame. He gives us forgiveness and a fresh start. We come to him in weakness. He gives us his strength. We come to him empty when the wines run out and he fills us with his presence with wine that runs forever. Before I came to faith, I used to think that there was, surely couldn't be any life or wine to be found in the church or Christianity. I mean, surely that place, those things take away life and fun, don't they? Surely doesn't give it. I think that's where many people are at today. Perhaps that's where you're at yourself. But then I encountered Jesus. And I experienced his love poured into my heart by his spirit after a talk like tonight's. And my heart was filled with such joy and hope and peace that I knew I could leave my old drinking fountains behind, especially the one in Egypt. <laughs> that wasn't planned, actually. But uh, lesson to self. Uh, and I knew I could do that because as I experienced, Jesus, I experienced Jesus being alive today. And not just a figure from history, not just this person in the Bible, but alive and well today and able to meet with you and me. How can we know that's true, you might ask? Well, our reading began with the words, on the third day, this wedding in Cana, in Galilee, 
happened on the third day. And there's something else that happened on the third day in the Gospels. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hour that Jesus referred to, the hour of Jesus came. He went to the cross and died for your sake and mine to take away our sins, to make us fit to be his bride, to clothe us all in white. And then he was buried in the ground, like the funerals I've taken recently. But it didn't end there because on the third day, he rose and is alive today and forevermore and is the only one who can give us hope and a future and is the only one who can turn the water of this life into the wine of eternal life, inviting us to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage of Jesus and his bride, the church, a feast that begins now and stretches on into eternity. And all you need to do today to secure your place at that party, all you need to do to become part of his bride, his church, and to enjoy that wine forever is come to Jesus. And you can do that right now.